what kind of happened for the plan was impacted by the evidence that was out there, but also by the voices and those gaps that are at a local level or at a regional level our partners identified. Through that process there was other ways that you and I continued to work that demonstrated the kind of accountability that also that I think you really championed for the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan because there's other ways that you also supported nations. Actually going to evaluate. So it wasn't just developing a plan and putting it on a shelf and letting it collect dust. Hello and welcome back to Interior Voices, an interior health podcast series where we explore the intersection of health and culture in the workplace, our everyday lives, and patient care. I'm Beth Blue, Communication Support for Aboriginal Health. In Episode 4, Sheila Lewis and Chris Murray summarize the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan. And Sheila then interviews Judy Sturm, Director of Aboriginal Mental Wellness, about the development of the plan. Um, I know that we're about to hear a conversation about the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan and your conversation with Judy Sturm. Yes, uh, yeah, so it was really exciting opportunity to get to talk with Judy about the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan, especially because she really has been the driving force behind this plan, really starting from her days when she was with the Aboriginal Health Team as a practice lead there, and attending to the one of the priorities from the Aboriginal health team that increasing Aboriginal mental wellness. And so she gets to give us that story of that journey to creating that plan. But what was really exciting for her to share that story is as being a team member on the Aboriginal mental wellness plan and supporting the implementation of the plan was to just hear how it came about. How did she engage with stakeholders? What was important in, in that driving of that plan? And especially when we think about the five focus areas of the plan, which we didn't really seem to go that much into directly in the podcast. So I'm going to take this opportunity now. Yeah, tell me more about the five focus yeah, areas. Yeah, excellent. And this uh, is for the Interior Health Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so this plan was done with significant engagement with stakeholders, with our Aboriginal community partners, really driving what did they want to see in an Aboriginal mental wellness plan and being also quite fatigued by having plans that weren't actionable, that weren't going to move the needle, so to speak, right? So the areas that our stakeholders identified for focus include focus area one, where overall broadly we develop and enhance family and community-based prevention and awareness and uh, self-care activities. So that's really looking, supporting our Aboriginal community partners in, in services that they have. Where can we support them in enhancing the services that they deliver? For the services that we have internally in Interior Health, in collaboration with our stakeholders, where are the barriers to accessing that service? And quite often they pointed to, we just don't even know that that service is available. Mm -hmm. So that's an opportunity for us there, as well as in focus area two, participating in meaningful engagement. And this is a, an opportunity where one of the elements of focus area two is mapping annual events in our different communities, different places where the public are invited to come and participate in ceremony and celebration of Aboriginal identity and ways of being. It's not about recreating other events, it's about really latching on to what's happening already and taking this as an opportunity to share what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And more to that is we know from our 
interior health colleagues that they're really interested in being a part of supporting, witnessing, and, and feeling the ways that our Aboriginal communities celebrate, the way that they honour rites of passage, uh, for example, how they do that good, mindful, mental wellness work by coming together in celebration, in ceremony. And we want to um, offer opportunity for our colleagues to be able to go and witness that. And at this point, I don't know if anyone really has pulled together an exhaustive list of BC interior opportunities. So this is this is what we can do, and then managers can see, you know, in their local areas where these where National Aboriginal Day celebration is, and our colleagues can put that in their calendar. They can offer to volunteer and help out. They can show up and enjoy the the activities that our our First Nations and Aboriginal communities, our Métis communities, are putting on. So just again, really helping bridge that gap uh, between the two worlds and creating um, a, a space or supporting space for increased sensitivity to the different ways of being. Focus area three is broadly we're looking at building trauma-informed and culturally safe mental health and substance use services. So that also links back to what services are available. How do I access them? Here at Interior Health, we're still working on how do we communicate effectively to our public the pathways to service, how to access our services, where are our services. So, And talking about trauma-informed services, is that recreating or creating new ones, or is it really reflecting on what we already have as a health authority and ensuring that they're trauma-informed? So it's to your last point there, is really looking internally and looking at um, the services that we have and supporting them in accessing uh, cultural safety education programs, identifying the spaces that they're in and how can we transform those to, to have visual cues that this is a safe place, that this is a place where the people there are sensitive to the needs of, of Aboriginal identity and will do their best to, to support an individual that's coming to access the services and not recreate those kinds of traumas that are unfortunately still alive and well for our Aboriginal communities as they come into our urban centres. Uh, and, that, and similarly, just knowing that how something like the opioid crisis has impacted our Indigenous, our Aboriginal communities, particularly our men between the ages of 30 to 50, has been, had a great impact. And so what can we do in our, as we're responding to the opioid crisis to ensure that every person matters in this crisis and that we are attending to all those diverse needs? that are very much clearly in our face right at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So tell me about focus area number four. Yeah, so this is, and again, I, I think you'll, maybe you're noticing I may be making an assumption, but all of them have a relationship. Which yes, it doesn't sound like they're all distinct, but there seems to be a bit of overlap. Yes, yes. And so focus area number four is about increasing equitable access, improving transitions, and reducing barriers. There is uh, a, a, some very strong focus work in our primary care network and also our SCSP work, our specialized community service programs. So this is an area where we see the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan being of great support to our colleagues in interior health, particularly in mental health and substance use, as we move through this primary care transformation and through the specialized care programs in community. We know that uh, not all access is equitable for everybody. It also depends. Do you have access to transportation? Do you have access to a phone? Do you have access to the internet? And 
and a, a working computer. So looking at diverse ways, uh, recognizing that may not be available for everyone. Uh, improving transitions. We know that there's gaps from hospital to community, from our different care services to community. So how can we enhance those so that we can reduce the amount of people falling through cracks, so to speak? and reducing barriers. So uh, if, if there is a challenge to accessing our services, what can we do to reduce that and make it more equitable and access? And then all of this work, you know that you're doing work that's effective, that's meeting the needs, is also we're responsible to our stakeholders that contributed to this plan. And so focus area five is all about really looking at are we being effective in the work that we're doing. So applying a continuous quality improvement lens. So there is a huge evaluation plan that we are working on of the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan so that it will look at all the different focus areas and are we achieving what we said that we would achieve. And going beyond just that, but also is it meeting what our stakeholders ask us to meet? Definitely, and I think that's a great way to approach it. And I think it's not the, the hard and fast, we're gonna implement this and then see if it works. It's how do we implement this and see if it works along the way and that we there's room for improvement as we go. Yes, absolutely. So tell me, how long is this plan gonna take to implement or is there a timeline? Uh, yeah, so the, the first stages of this plan, it's a three-year plan. So a lot of the work is wrapping up that we've identified in these focus areas in 2020. And, and I suspect the way that the work's going and the way that our collaborations have been going with our communities and stakeholders, that we will be in 2020 doing another look at this Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan and turning the dial, so to speak. Okay, so now that we've achieved these areas in the focus area, what are our next steps? Right, dependent on that evaluation plan that you mentioned. Absolutely. Well, very exciting, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say to Judy uh, in this next segment. So can you then tell us a bit more about the journey to the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan? Sure. So I was working in Aboriginal health, and each health authority every five years is required to develop a plan or a strategy around how they're going to improve the health of the Aboriginal population. And so in 2014, we kind of started developing our next five-year strategy for, it's called the Aboriginal Health and Wellness Strategy. And we met and consulted with all our Aboriginal partners, I would say quite in depth compared to what I'd heard had happened before, to, to really understand what are the priorities that our health authority needs to be working towards around uh, service improvements, you know, improvements to prevention and promotion type of programming, and then some of even changes to human resources. And so a main priority that our communities brought forward across the board, so that's across First Nations, Métis, and our urban populations, was mental health and wellness. They really felt that that was an area that needed its own specific focus. So if you have a chance to look at the strategy, the five-year strategy, you'll see other things be more general, but this is very targeted to one specific type of program and service. And in that, it was outlined that one of the actions would be the development of a plan. And so I was initially involved because I was leading the development of the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan. But in collaboration with our partners, with Patient Voices Network, volunteers we had participate, and internally with other staff. So it's not like, you know, you're the only one creating it. We really were there to lead development of it. But what kind of um, happened 
for the plan was impacted by the evidence that was out there, but also by the voices and those gaps that are at a local level or at a regional level our partners identified. And I don't know, I find it, found it really exciting. Another big piece for me was that we were actually going to evaluate. So it wasn't just developing a plan and putting it on a shelf and letting it collect dust. A real commitment around our organization to action um, some of those focus areas and some of that work within there. I can tell you, and I continue to hear it for any of the work that we do, that is a piece that our Aboriginal partners want to see. And I'm sure for other areas of work in interior health that partners want to make sure that they don't just give their voice and inform you and then you don't do anything with it. You know, and so we're trying to be very transparent and yeah, I'd love to kind of, I'm hoping through this we can kind of hear some of Sheila's perspective too because she's been working with this, but to be transparent and, and report back to people on where we're at with this work that you kind of tasked for us to do. Yeah, and so I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about high level of respect for deep engagement that you did across the interior region to learn what is most meaningful for our partners, our Aboriginal communities, and and definitely that level of accountability. Uh, I had an opportunity actually at the tail end of the development of that Aboriginal mental wellness plan to work with you when I was in a different position and I was working for one of our local nations. And through that process, there was other ways that you and I continued to work that demonstrated the kind of accountability that also that I think you really championed for the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan because there's other ways that you also supported nations, sometimes where other colleagues weren't able to, going over and above and beyond. And, and those five focus areas are really clear in terms of this is what we heard from our Aboriginal communities that they are most interested in in terms of mental wellness what fascinates me is the the level of support you provide to us to keep building on our relationships developing new ones and really being intense about our communication of what are we doing I felt when I came onto your team as the Aboriginal Regional Knowledge Coordinator I still hold this line and I share it every time everywhere I go my supervisor had said that we don't do a great job in saying what are our services what do we do we put these kinds of labels on things and seemingly walk away. And so that really encouraged me at that point in time to go, okay, to use a metaphor of the Wizard of Oz, is my supervisor just gave me the opportunity, the approval to pull back the curtain on the wizard. And we can see exactly what the wizard's doing behind that curtain. And as you know, and have supported me in doing, I chose photo documentation. Because in, in my own kind of um, understanding of my heritage and ways of being, very visual and very hands-on. And, and I think at times we get in our organization, we get too focused on paper and written word and it leaves some of our other communities kind of in the dust. And so it's, it's interesting that journey and that permission that I feel I was offered coming onto the team has led to us sitting here today and us having Interior Voices podcast series amongst other vehicles that have come through. Let's be transparent. Let's be accountable. Let's go move forward with integrity and in our relationships with our Aboriginal communities and partners.
So thank you very much for being that champion, always. You mentioned the Truth and Reconciliation 94 Calls to Action. I believe numbers 18 through to 24 specifically speak to health. Did that contribute at all to the development of the uh, Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan? Not at the time because they weren't available. So our planning happened early. It took a, a while to plan. But again, for me, I don't think it doesn't, it's not like we can't implement them. So any plan, for me, it's not stagnant. There's going to be changing priorities. Uh, we're going to be finishing work and needing to take on new work. So again, the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan really only outlined, in my opinion, a lot of first steps and doesn't cover all the work that needs to be done. And so I'll be looking to our team to say, then what responsibility do we have? What responsibilities do we have around self-determination, you know, as an example, and, and be supportive of that? Or a language, you know, and knowing just how culture is so critical to an Indigenous Aboriginal person's well-being. It can't be separated, so we might talk about, you know, economic, health services, but there's other pieces as an Indigenous person. There's the spiritual, the cultural side of things that at this place, in my opinion, our system is not supporting. And, and that's what I like about the, the calls to action is some of those pieces are in there. And again, that that work needs to be done with our Aboriginal Indigenous partners. So mm -hmm. Truly, it'll be our nations, our partners, mm -hmm. our communities that will will guide and direct and support us in moving forward in a good way. So what keeps you motivated? What keeps the passion alive for this, for this work? For a few different reasons. Uh, obviously for me it's personal. You know, I, I have, like I said, First Nations and, and Métis family. We, we've been personally impacted. So growing up, didn't have a lot of my um, great aunts and uncles. They, they weren't living. And even for the placement of Aboriginal women mm -hmm. in society, I think for me, I, you come back to what one of the one of the elders said: "We all have our own purpose. You need to find out what your purpose is." And I think for me, one of my purposes that I found is to try and be an advocate, is you know to really authentically try and do and support communities who I consider when I work with them, I consider them like my family. And so they might not consider that, but I want to work as hard for them like they, like they are my family. And you get invested when you hear people's stories. And I'm always one to really try and support the underdog. And, and I've always worked with what we would consider vulnerable populations or marginalized populations. A lot of my work has been, like I said, I've worked in corrections. I've, I've worked in a pregnancy outreach program. I've worked with our population. And so I, I just... Again, for me, it comes back to that core belief that I believe in servant leadership. I am here to serve my people in my capacity, and I often wonder if that's why I did receive the name Judy as much as I hated it when I got it. <laughs> oh, no. Because if you look up the definition of St. Jude, it, 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 is, it has a relevance to it. And so for me, I think that's what really makes me passionate is there's so much work that we need to do, and we can do. And, but you need committed and authentic people to support that work because it's not easy and you do have many roadblocks and you have to persevere and I'm thankful you know, for those support people that I have for our team that understands the, the struggle and ultimately I'm doing it for 
individuals. I'm doing it for families. I'm doing it for communities, my families, my communities. For me, I'm very passionate about and very motivated about uh, the work that we do. You know, for those of us that do this work that's uh, in the Aboriginal world and trying to increase equitable access and, and uh, better programming and connection to land and identity, it is personal for us. I remember when I came on and talking with a colleague and saying, this is very personal work. Um, for me, my passion comes from my experiences growing up and definitely continues to drive me in, in the work. So thank you very much for sharing your motivation and, and I felt resonance of that. How you said, when I go and work in with the community, I think of them as my brothers and sisters, my aunties and uncles, they're my family. And I work as hard for them as I would my blood family. So yeah, with that, before I go on uh, to the final question to end this interview, is there anything that you would like our IH colleagues to know about the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan or the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Team? Yeah, I think again, I'll come back to what I said about self-reflection around that personal responsibility. It's about you trying to understand whether it's the Aboriginal Health and Wellness Strategy or the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan what is my role and responsibility in the work that I do to help us move forward these actions? It isn't the work of the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Team. It's the work of the organization. And you are a part of the organization in a role. And so I really want people to think about what is my piece? What is my role? What ownership do I have in the work that I do? And so to do that, you do need to read them. You need to understand what our partners in our communities, your patients and clients, families and communities have asked for so that you can translate it because you'll know your work the best. And I really think it really starts with that. And then if you struggle, again, reach out. Our team's here. The Aboriginal Health Program team is there. They can help you translate it if you really are struggling with that piece yourself. But I, I really think that people have to look at in their role in this organization what work do they need to do in their daily work, in their five-year strategy that would support this, which is all around improving the health status or the health outcomes of Indigenous Aboriginal people. Excellent, yes. Self-reflection is so important. and We have such an incredible talent and expertise across this organization. And definitely how powerful we'll be when we get to that place in our journey of seeing where is our part in this work. How can we contribute? How can we be allies? And, and how have we, you know, in that self-reflection, how have we not been allies? And making amends for that. And so that would be that piece of reconciliation that we were talking about earlier too. So definitely excited about all the kinds of opportunity because we do have incredible wealth within our organization in terms of expertise and just I've certainly noticed in my short time I've only been with Interior Health for I think I'm going on 10 months now how generous my colleagues are across the board whether they're connected to this work or not or they've even had that opportunity to do that self-reflection their generosity in in just simple navigation to the coffee room or helping me with a project management document um, has been incredible so I feel very optimistic about um, the future and the direction that this organization is going in and that we do have um, the Aboriginal Health Team and the Aboriginal Mental Wellness Team that really are great resources to lean on when you're struggling and we're doing our best to provide safe spaces for those colleagues that are struggling. If someone wanted to learn more about what you do, how would they contact you? Yeah, so they can either call me. So my direct line is 778-257-0341. 
or through email, J-U-D-Y, period, S-T-U-R-M, Sturm, at interiorhealth, which is all one word, dot C-A. Excellent. I look forward to hearing about you guys filling up her inbox, whether it's through her direct work line or through her email. I want to say thank you very much for sharing your time. You're the listeners here. Judy's been through quite the gauntlet and has taken her team through some very intense work, and so she's been joining me here at the end of her day. But thankfully, she's heading off to get some laughs, which we all know in this podcast, we enjoy laughter. So thank you very much, Judy, for doing that and for uh, sharing your time, your knowledge, and your passion with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode four of Interior Voices. Visit our website at interiorhealth.ca slash interiorvoices for links to additional information about Interior Health's Aboriginal Mental Wellness Plan. Please join us again on March 5th for more discussion with Sheila and Judy. If you have questions or comments about today's podcast, you can email us at interiorvoices at interiorhealth.ca. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, Interior Voices is now available on iTunes. Sheila. Chris, how you doing?